On today's episode of the Yezu, the radio show podcast, we're going to be going ahead and talking about purchasing used radios or radios online when not from direct authorized dealers, DR2X operations and some questions that kind of come up, and what really needs to be registered for wires X usage. That's for this week's episode on the Yezu, the radio show podcast. And welcome to this episode of the Yezu, the radio show podcast. I'm your host, John Crook. My call is N9UPC. And I know we haven't done a podcast for almost about a couple months, and we do want to get back into it, and we do have some good shows planned. Of course, we got busy with ham cation, and Hamvention is going to be right around the corner. We have the FTM 500 coming out here, so lots of stuff running on into the background. But people said, John... We, we do like to hear the podcast from Yezu. It has good little tidbits of information on there. And then we also like to see the show, and the Yezu, the radio show, will be returning. So no worries there for anybody um, coming on there. So we are still doing it, but you know what? We just are quite busy on things. We do want to help our customers the best that we can. Speaking about helping our customers the best that we can, don't ever forget, when you need to get a hold of us, contact us through our either contact us page at yezu.com or feel free to use our emails for our direct departments. All that information can be found on our website at yezu.com. That's right, yezu.com. Go ahead and go to that website there, click on the contact us, and you'll see the emails for the direct departments, or you can also go ahead and contact us by telephone, which goes ahead and gives the options for the different departments, as well as sending us a contact form through the email um, listing right on that webpage there through the email form. Now, let me tell you something. We are quite busy. We do answer. Not only do we do amateur, but we also do marine and aviation. So we have a lot of our good, high-quality tech folks and customer service support folks and everything like that that are working hard, that do handle a lot of questions. So if you call, leave a voicemail message. If you do email, email. If you do send us a contact form, send us a contact form. But here's the deal. Just do it once. Just do it once. Because if you do it multiple times, then we may have to shift it around a department that can get delayed. So just definitely go ahead and contact us, and then we will get back hold you as soon as we are possible. So got a lot of a lot of questions that always come in, and there's not always tech questions. A lot of people are like, oh, there's that many Yezu products that aren't working. No, we have a lot of people that call and ask, and you know the the amateur community is really resourceful in some of the things that they want to do. But we take care of all of our product lines. So HF radios, VHF, UHF, handheld, mobiles, rotators, um, antennas, all that kind of stuff like that on there. It all comes through us in the United States here for the North America area. So that not only means the lower 48 United States, but then also does mean Canada. And we do work with our partners in Mexico as well as South America. So kind of keep that in mind. And then that way you'll be able to go ahead and contact us with your questions and stuff and go from there. Now, let's jump into our topic. And this is actually a topic that we've been seeing a lot come through, not only through our sales channels, but through our service department channels and through our technical support channels and kind of just general questions, even on social media and stuff like that on there. And we wanted to take a moment to kind of address it because unfortunately, when this is starting to pop up, a lot of people, a lot of people, are, are doing this, and the word I think is finally getting out on it, and people are slowing down on it. And what that is is purchasing radios through the Internet or through online sales, such as like Amazon or eBay or something like that on there. Now, we have always, 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 always at Yezu have said, you know what, can you please, please, please purchase from our authorized Yezu dealers? Now, there's a reason for that. 
There really is. Some people say, oh, they just wanted to. No, 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 no. The reason is when you're purchasing it from an authorized Yezu dealer. And what I mean by authorized Yezu dealer, go to, once again, our website, yezu.com. You can click on find a dealer. The only dealers that are going to be listed there are ones that are authorized by Yezu and that purchase product directly from Yezu. There are places that claim to be Yezu dealers, and they're not. They're not at all. They're not at all. And what they try to do is they buy they buy equipment either offline or they buy it from um, quote unquote authorized Yezu dealers, which means that they are truly a Yezu dealer. But they in turn turn around and try to sell it, and they're not a Yezu dealer. And I'll tell you what, I've had my fair share of customers calling in so upset because this quote unquote Yezu dealer didn't do this, or worst case yet, the Yezu dealer treated them horribly. When we do some digging and looking on our end, find out they're not even a Yezu dealer, but they're claiming to be. So reason I say all that is is because right now we have had a lot, and I mean a lot of radios that are in popular and high demand, okay? The FT891 is a good example on there. A lot of people loving this radio for mobile HF operation, for parks on the air operation. It can work not only with, you know, general antennas for mobile or fixed applications, but it also is compatible with our ATAS 120 antenna, which means it does the automatic tuning on there. A lot of people love that antenna for that purpose on there. Same thing with the FT-991A. That is a full shack in the box covering 160 meters all the way up to 70 centimeters, minus 220. But a lot of people love that radio because not only does it give you HF and VHF and UHF, but it also gives you Yezu System Fusion. It has a built-in sound card. All those kind of great features in there. But what's happened is, is that during this whole time we've had over the last few years of COVID and all that kind of stuff, we were still lucky enough to be able to continue to produce radios for our Yezu customers. And eventually that's going to catch up with you. And what I mean by it's eventually going to catch up with you is, is that, you know what, while we were producing radios... People are buying the radios and as kind of other things and people have been impacted by this whole, whether it be component shortage, chip shortage, plastic shortage, this shortage, this shortage, through the whole thing. Guess what happened? We kind of fall into that same kind of category too. And unfortunately, in some cases, people wanted radios and we started to have a little bit of a back order situation. But don't worry, folks, okay? Don't listen to the rumors. Don't listen to the lies on um, social media or internet or talking around the coffee table. We're going to tell you this. People are saying, oh, the A91 is being discontinued. The 991s being discontinued. This is being discontinued. This and this and this because there's currently a back order on some of the radios. No, it's because they're popular radios. It's because people like them. It's because people want to have them. And guess what? If a customer walks into the store and says, hey, I don't want to go ahead and, and I want to get this radio. I don't want to go with any other radio. I want this radio. I'm going to pre-purchase or, or purchase this radio right now. And the minute that it goes ahead and comes off back order, I want it in my hands. Okay, cool. Great. Not a problem. Guess what? That's great. And then what happens is that creates that back order list. So then when we are producing radios and we are getting radios out there, then what happens is, of course, those dealers have back orders that they have to fulfill first, and then they can put the radio on their shelves when they're done fulfilling those back orders. So in that case, the reason I say that is because people said, well, if I can't get that radio online, you know, I can't go to my authorized Yezu dealer, and I can't buy it right now. I'm going to look online. I'm going to go to eBay. I'm going to go to uh Amazon. I'm going to go to wherever, wherever you might look at those radios on sale or for purchase. And guess what happens? People start to see these radios that are coming up and available in Japan. 
and it says the seller is in Japan, or it's not a authorized Yezu dealer. And then what happens is this this then becomes kind of a tragic story in this whole deal because then what happens is is that hey guess what. I'm going to buy this radio. I want an 891. I want a 991. I want an FTM 300. I want it in my hands now. Okay, great. We want to hear that. We like to hear that. Great. Thanks for thanks for being a Yezu customer. But then what they do is they buy that radio. And then the radio is shipped to them. So far, no problem, right? They bought a radio, paid for money, and the radio got shipped to them. But then what they do is they go ahead and they, they, they take it, they hook it up. And it claims it's a new radio, and it looks like it might be a new radio and everything like that, but then they hook it up, and then this is where the tragic part comes into, is they go ahead and they say, you know what? I can't transmit on 2 meters above 146 megahertz. My repeater's on 147.210. I can't transmit on 147.810 at all. What, what's going on? And then they notice that the UHF band is even more restricted. And that's 430 to 440. And they notice that, hey, the repeater's on 444, let's say. And they can't transmit on it. Well, then now the customer starts to get upset. Now the person starts to get upset. And then what they do is, of course, they reach out to us at Yezu. And we say, well, no, let's check a few things to make sure that there isn't something going on with the radio. And then one of the things we check at is we say, okay, where, where did you purchase this radio from? You know, these kind of things, doing our due diligence to help you as solving the issue. And then they go ahead and they say, well, they bought it offline or they bought it through Amazon or they bought it through eBay or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then the next thing you know is we find out that that's not a R version radio. Okay. And what we mean by an R version radio is if you ever take a look at our Yezu radios, you know, there is the product line, the model number, you know, so, you know, FT60, let's say, you know, or FT5D. Well, that's the model number okay that's that's the the series if you want to kind of call it a model number after there there's usually like an r or an e or or sometimes a different letter on there depending and that is going to signify and dictate where that radio is reason regionally accepted read can regionally be sold and what i mean by that is with the r that allows you in the u.s because it's part um 97 type accepted by the fcc for that radio to be sold and transmit in the amateur bands for two meters of 144 to 148. Well, it's technically 147.995. And same thing in the VA, UHF band, 430 through 449.995. We just usually say 450. Well, that's type accepted. That's our amateur band area or, or, you know, our license class that we can do. Technicians, everybody can transmit on the two meter band and yada, yada, yada. Right, but the issue that people are running into is, is that they don't have an R version. They're sold an E version, which is a European model, or even worse, they're sold the model out of Japan or Oceania, which is, guess what, a non-U.S. model. So the band, not only is it going to have band restrictions on what they can do because they don't have the full two-meter band like we do in the UHF band and other restrictions on there, but not only are you going to be limited by frequency that that radio can transmit on, but also you're going to be limited, in some cases, on power output. Once again, different restrictions for different regions of the world, okay? Different regions, different license classes. You know, not everybody has band privileges in the HF portion and at 100 watts. Some may have reduced and some may only have 10 watts, 100 watts, whatever the case may be. 
But this is the sad part about it. The person went on their own and bought it. And then they come and they say, you know what? Hey, here's the deal. I want to return it. The customer, the seller won't let me return it. He said, nope, no returns, no exchanges. Okay. So then they come to us and say, how can I modify the radio? Well, you can't. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. No, you can't. It's a different firmware. It's a different situation. There's things in the radio that do not allow it to be modified, to be used in a different regions on frequency bands outside of what that radio is, quote, unquote, accepted or designed to do. No, 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 no. You can, you can modify radios and this and this and this. No, you can't. Not in this case. Well, then they'll say, well, if it's a firmware issue, it's all a firmware issue, right? It's always a firmware issue. We'll load the new firmware on it. Sorry, we can't. Can't do it. We don't have that. We don't have the firmware. We can't do that. That radio is not type accepted for us to go ahead and do that in the United States. Now, here's the other thing, too. If for some reason, some reason, maybe you did buy it from a, a, an actual authorized um, Yezu dealer in Japan or something like that. If there's a warranty claim or the radio needs to be repaired, it has to go all the way back to Japan, too. Alrighty, if you bought that radio and it was a similar thing for the UK, it's got to go back through Yezu UK. No different, no different than if you were to go and buy a, 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 an R version, a US radio, and you're in Japan, and you have that radio sent to you, and that radio doesn't work for something, or you need warranty repair or something, whatever, whatever, whatever that needs to be done. You're sending that radio all the way back over to us in Cypress, California. All righty. So that is one of the key things that we, we want to tell people because so many people are seeing these radios online and they're seeing it say new and this and this and this and this. And they're like, oh, well, you know what? A radio is a radio. And it's really not. It really isn't. Based on the different firmware, based on the different regions that the radio is type accepted, you can do it. Now, here's the other thing. People are saying, well, you're the manufacturer. You can change the radio. No, we can't. We can't just change the radio. When we produce our radios, we have to produce radios that that go to those specific regions. So we just don't produce a radio and then try to lock it down or do this and this and this to make sure it meets with compliance and goes to another country or this or this or this. No, we can't do that. When we produce radios, when we manufacture radios off of that assembly line and the whole thing in there, we actually get radios that are specifically assembled for the U.S. or the, I should say, North America market, okay? You can't just bring a radio over and cram firmware into it and this and this and this and this and do it for there. Now, one of the other things people tend to say in this case, they say, you know what? I'm just going to go online and I am going to download the firmware for the U.S. and I'm going to cram that firmware in there. No, no, no. That's not going to work either. You're going to damage your radio or you're going to brick your radio on there. Okay? Okay? That doesn't work. You can't just take firmware from another region and then cram it into a different region's radio and expect it to work and all that kind of stuff. It, ju it just doesn't do it that way. It's just like programming with chirp stuff. You can't just cram stuff into the radio and then hope and pray and stuff. No, it doesn't. There's specific things that need to be done in programming, especially in firmware updates, that cannot be done by us as a service center. No service center, okay? 
You can't just take the radio from once again, you know, you buy it and it's a Japanese version radio and you can't just say, oh, okay, just cram the U.S. firmware version in there. No, it doesn't work that way. So we wanted to take that moment to say, hey, guys, hey, gals, listen, here's the deal and everything like that. We want you to be very, very careful what you're doing when you're buying radios off online. Now, I know some people are going to look for a great deal and stuff like that. And you know what? Take a look at our authorized Yezu dealers. Like I said, they offer great deals from time to time. And guess what? Yes, there is a high demand for some of our more popular radios right now. But you got to do that. As they say, buyer beware. Okay. Maybe you might get a radio that's going to work fine and everything like that. And maybe you might get stuck with this, but check your seller. If the radio's from Japan or if it's from Asia area, most likely it's going to be that. If the radio's from the UK or European countries, guess what? It's probably going to be an E model over there, okay? But if you're checking, checking and you're buying from US or North America authorized dealers, guess what? They are not going to have an issue. They're going to send sell. You got the radio in stock. They're going to sell to you. You know it's going to work, and you're going to be good from there. All righty. So our little kind of thing that we kind of start on here is talking a little bit about an operational section of our podcast here. And one of the big things that have come up recently has been the discussion about the DR2X. So at the time of the recording of this podcast, the DR2X program goes all the way until March 31st of 2023 here. So if you are listening to it after that point, well, maybe there's another program that started back up again, or maybe there isn't. But one of the things that um, some people kind of get confused on with the DR2X operation is, is it truly two repeaters in one? And the answer is, is no, it's not. And the reason it's not is, is because it doesn't technically have two independent transmitters. It has two independent receivers that can receive simultaneously and on different frequencies and different bands from one another, but it only has one transmitter. So what we mean by that is, is that you can have uh, f- receive on VHF on the A side and receive on UHF on the B side, and you can both make them come out on the VHF side or the UHF side or whatever sort of combination you want, okay? That's the options here. One of the biggest things, though, is, is that people have to remember is, is that when you're using the DR2X, you do have that dual receive thing on there, but once again, transmitter has to have a transmit switch in there. Now, one of the other things that people have tried to do, and there's, and it's not good success, folks. It's really not good success in any way, shape, or form, is they try to create a ping-pong scenario or a off-air pick scenario would be better. Actually, it'd be better to call it an off-air pick scenario, but then it results in an issue of having ping-pong issues. And what we mean by that is, is that you're going to go ahead and you're going to take the repeater, on the A side, and you have it set up on your normal repeater frequency. So whatever it is, let's just say 147.600 for receive and 147.000 for transmit. Now your B side is going to go ahead and be, let's say, uh, 444. Uh, or let's say 449.0 for receive and then normally transmit would be 444.000 for transmit. But there's not a second transmitter, so you can't put it in there. So now what's happening is you go over to your other repeater, and what you're doing then on the other repeater is, is basically you're programming your UHF, so it receives on 449.000, and then it goes ahead and transits on 444.000. And then what they're doing is on the B side, they're programming the B side of the repeater to receive the output of side A on the first repeater. 
So in essence, what happens, and let me kind of describe this a little bit better so you can see. User goes in on repeater number one on VHF. And what then happens is, is that the repeater repeats it out on VHF. Well, then repeater number two receives it on VHF on the B side, but transmits on UHF. Now, what they want you to want, well, they, what they want to do is they then want to have the B side of repeater one pick up the A side of repeater two and then do that. But the problem is, is you just created an infinity loop. What I mean by an infinity loop is, is that it keeps going ahead and keying up, keying up, keying up because the signal is going around in a big, like, infinity symbol. Repeater A, repeater one transmits out on output A. Repeater two receives it on the B side and then goes ahead and kicks it over to the UHF transmitter, which transmits out on side A and repeater two. Then it goes back to repeater one on the B side and hears the output of side A on repeater two. And then it transmits on, once again, the A side of repeater one. And so it's all in this infinity loop. It doesn't work that way. So I've had a lot of people say, well, then, John, what, what is, what, what's the deal? Why, why, give me two, give me one, give me, give me two if you can, good reasons why the DR2X is set up this way. So the reason the DR2X is set up this way is for one to have a backdoor control option. A lot of people said, and the DR1X didn't have this, they said, you know what, John, if someone is jamming the repeater, if someone is talking a long time, if something is happening or something like that, and I need to get in and I need to manually disable the repeater or take down the repeater with remote commands, like the Fusion Telecommand or DTMF, those kind of things, okay? Stuff that's built into the repeater. Let me go say, because I, I have in my notes here, how there's can, other ways to interface different things, but we're just going to go with these basic things right now. And they said, you know, hey, if someone's jabbing or the, the repeater's jammed up on the A side, I need a backdoor to get in there when I need it to be remotely. Well, that's one good usage of the B side on the DR2X because you can set it up on a separate in-band frequency, a separate... Um, uh, you know, other band frequency. So maybe you have a backdoor set up on the VHF simplex frequency of some sort, or maybe you have it set up on a UHF B side kind of backdoor frequency. So now someone's talking, 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 you take your handheld mobile, whatever, whatever, and send the commands on that backdoor side, that backdoor frequency, and then it will go ahead and the repeater will respond to you. That's one. Got another one. You can use the B side as a remote receiver site when you have repeaters linked together, and this is an analog or digital. Yes, so analog or digital will give you that option. And what we mean by that is, is that say you're going to take the DR2X, and what you're going to do is you're going to link it with another repeater somewhere. I, I don't, it doesn't even have to be another Yezu repeater. It could be whatever repeater or something that you want. But what happens is that now you can program that B side as the input to your other repeater you're linked to on whatever frequency um, you have or whatever, whatever, and on a separate either CTCSS or DCS tone. So for an example, the main repeater is set up for 147.000. What happens with 147.000? It's going to go ahead and repeat normally. So the repeater receives on 147.6 and transits on 147.0. Now, let's say you have a this repeater 2, this DR2X, and you're going to analog link it off the back of the, the repeater to that other repeater. And now let's say this repeater is on 444.0. So 
And repeater receives on 449.0 and transits on 444.0, okay? But now what it is, is you can take that B side and you could set it up to receive on 147.600, but have a different CTCSS or DCS tone input. And then from there, what ends up happening is, is that, you know, the user would have to switch, but hey, I'm on the main repeater, but now I'm in an area where I can hear the main repeater, but I just can't get into it because of whatever. Well, now that repeater, because they're linked together, could be in a remote receive site. And now I just switch it to a different CTCSS tone and boom, now I'm into the repeater again. Another one which kind of deals with linking, which is really, really cool, is comes into the play of IMRS. Now, IMRS is a little different for the linking aspects for digital and the remote receive site. So with the DR2X, if you go in on the A side for digital and they're IMRS connected, then the repeater will respond and follow everything on the A side. But if you go in and on the B side, the repeater that the one you're going into locally on Fusion and you're connected to another repeater on Fusion, that is going to use the B side of the repeater then. So what people have done because of the ability, the flexibility of Fusion and IMRS is is that they have set up a repeater standalone on the A side in digital but then they go in on the B side at that same site, and then that is connected via IMRS, which goes back out to the main repeater site. So now what you've done is you have a main repeater with a remote receive site, and you have a secondary repeater that is just standalone operation on the A side. So once again, that's that flexibility in regards to DR2X operations. Now, if you want to find out more about IMRS and DR2X and linking and stuff like that, go to our YouTube channel, Yezu USA Official. We do have some videos that do talk about this. IMRS is not confusing at all. It really isn't. And it focuses around the concept of saying the DGID tones work just like a CTCSS or DCS tone does. Okay? That's all it is. It's a means of selective access. When you select this tone and transit into the repeater on this tone, in essence, then digital would be this DGID, then it's going to go ahead and search out other ones and all that fun stuff with IMRS. And maybe we'll talk about IMRS in an upcoming podcast also too. But otherwise, that is dealing with DR2X Ops. All righty. So the last topic we wanted to cover on our um, podcast here today is what really needs to be registered for WiresX. This is a this is kind of a problem. We get this question a lot on there because what happens is, is that people come up to us and they say, you know what, this is ridiculous. I want to get on WiresX. And when I want to get on WiresX, I have to go ahead and I have to register my device. And then we're saying, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, I got to register all my devices. I'm saying, no, you don't have to register your device at all. No, no, no. Other modes require me to have an ID and a registration. And then we're like, no, that's other modes. That's not what we got going on here. And then are like, well, explain. So the only time you need to register a device with a Wires X or for a Wires X ID is if that device will be connected to Wires X software for you to talk down the Wires X network. Let me repeat that. The only time you need to register a device for Wires X node ID, so like a DTMF node and room ID, is if that device 
is going to be connected physically to a computer running the WiresX software. All right, let me give you some examples and case point. If I at my house here want to put up my own WiresX node, whether it's connected to an HRI 200 or whether it's connected in PDN mode, doesn't matter. I need to register that device to the WiresX network. So I need to register for it because now what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, hey, here's the deal. I'm taking that cable off the radio and either going to an HRI 200 and then to my computer or I'm taking that cable and going directly to my computer, but it's physically connected to the computer running WiresX software. If I am in my neighborhood here and I do not want to put up a node, but there's a node or a peer that's associated with WiresX in the area, and I want to use that, I don't need to register anything at all. I don't. So let's say my friend, you know, my friend John, okay, he's got a repeater with a WiresX node connected to it. If I want to go ahead and use that repeater to either talk on it locally or connect it to a room on WiresX, or someone is already, if he already has that connected to a room on WiresX, and I just want to go ahead and I want to chit-chat in that room, guess what? I don't have to do a thing. What John has, okay, John Squared has the opportunity to do, he has a right to lock down his node. So, yes, he can prevent me from handshaking with the node to change the node rooms. He can prevent me from changing rooms. He can do a couple different things on his end under the control of his node. But if I want to talk on it, I don't have to register it at all. If I want to handshake with it over the air, I don't have to register it with all with it at all. The only time I have to register is when it's going to go ahead and be connected once again directly to a computer that is feeding the Wires X network. Now, I have some people that go ahead and say, John, I have an HRI 200 and I have um, a, a, an FT5D and I have an FTM 400 or whatever, other, like 100 or 200 or 300 or whatever, whatever mobile. And I want to set up my own node at home and I want to host my own room. What do I do? Well, in that case, you're going to register the HRI 200. They're going to give you that node room, node name. Okay, or I should say node name and I should say node number, excuse me. <laughs> node number and room number. And then that is what you're going to put into the WiresX software. And then that is what you're going to do when you hook it up. So you're basically going to have to take that radio. We call it a donor radio that connects to the HRI 200 and then the HRI 200 connects to the computer. So that's when I have to register a radio. Now, someone says, okay, John, but what if I want to go ahead and not talk locally? Let's say I got an FT5 and I want to talk locally to that node. Do I need to register anything? No, you don't because you're not actually going to the direct WiresX network physically with that radio. But what if I want to take the radio with me? Let's say I'm going to go camping or I'm going to go on a vacation. I'm going to bring my laptop with and I want to be able to talk back to my WiresX node slash room how do I do that? Well, then in that case, you would have to go ahead and register the FT5. Because once you register the FT5, then it says, oh, yeah, hey, FT5, you can talk directly to the WiresX software, which then feeds you to the Internet. So you connect the cables. So in that case, it's going to go ahead and be the SCU57 kit for Windows 11 and older versions. Okay, and then you're going to connect that SCU, I believe it's SCU 55, and the audio cables are going to have to connect that to the computer and everything. Now what you can do with your FT5 is you can use it like in what we call direct mode, and direct mode is going to allow you to use it like a speaker microphone 
but that is connected to a laptop device running WireZX software, which has a completely different Dota room number because you went along and you got them at different times. So now I could take my FT5 in this case and and, and basically talk into WireZX through my computer then that's going to go ahead and loop through the WireZX network back into that room. And I shouldn't say looping, but connect back to it. And now everything is good. But if I'm not going to do that, if I'm only going to have one node on at a time, I don't need to register another WireZX device. I don't. Now, one other thing to think about with WireZX, okay? The, there is a difference between using an HRI 200 and using a PDN node in HRI mode. The HRI 200 is a specifically designed device, and that's why you have to register that serial number for a device for it. It acts like sort of like a converter, if you want to say, a sound card device, an audio converter. There's a couple different things you can do it, but what it's basically doing is it's basically taking the audio received by the donor radio, which then goes into the HRI 200, and then because that's how the radio and the HRI 200 are connected, and then it goes via USB. The HRI 200 can also do analog. It can do storage of picture, text messaging, and voice messaging on there. It allows you to do analog if I didn't say that already on there also too. So the HRI 200 does do a lot of different things that you cannot really do in PDN or the HRI mode. Not HRI 200, but HRI mode. Now, let's talk about a few other things here for this concept. A lot of people ask and they say, why do I need to waste a donor radio with the HRI 200? Well, the HRI 200 is a device in of itself that can do a lot of great many things. And the concept of WireZX came from saying, okay, I want to have connectivity when I'm away from my house. Or I want to have connectivity at different times. Not necessarily going to be connected to it all the time. So in that case, that's why a donor radio is required for an HRI 200. Now, people said, well, I got to buy an HRI 200. I got to buy a radio and this and this, and I'm not going to use it all the time. Well, correct. So if you don't think you're going to be using WireZX all the time or you need a room or you need FM, then by all means, have one of the Fusion-capable mobiles or handhelds become registered for the device or as the WireZX device and use that as your means of connecting. And then when you're done, go back to normal operation. Now, one of the things that also too needs to be clarified is, is that what radios can you use with the HRI 200 versus PDN functionality? So that's really good. So right now, the way it sits is the HRI 200 needs a donor radio. And that donor radio has to have a special 10-pin mini DIN and has a lot of stuff going on through that whole process, which a lot of people don't usually understand. So in that case, what's going to happen is, is that you are going to, in essence, um, take and turn that radio into the WireZX mode in and out. And you're, you're, that's, that's the whole point of the donor radio. But if you're using the HRI mode, you turn it on and off, or I should say PDN mode, you turn it on and off as needed. Okay, that's the big difference between the two. And, and we just want to stress that because we have so many times so many people coming in or they're calling in and, and this and this and this and this. And they're like, well, I don't know which this and I register with this and this and this. Now, here's another little interesting tidbit. If you do register with an ID with it, and let's say you're going to use a different radio. So let's say you register the FTM 300 with it. Okay, so you have an FTM 300 in your shack 
and you have that registered with WiresX, and you've connected it from um, the FTM 300 to the um, WiresX software computer, and you're using your talk and everything, and then when you don't need it, you turn it off, take it out of mode there. But let's say, for example, you said, you know what, I need a good radio for the car, and I'm going to move the FTM 300 out of my house and put that in my car. Now that leaves me insufficiency because now I don't have a WiresX radio in there. Aha, you still have the FT5D. Now what you can do is without reactivating, doing the reactivation, doing any of that, you can now just make sure you got the drivers for the SCU cable that you need, the SCU55, if memory serves correctly. Okay. Now all you're going to go basically do then is you're going to plug that cable set that you need to into the FT5, plug that in to the WiresX computer, and then you can now use the no number that was assigned for the 300 with the FT5 because the computer is still active with it. This does not mean that you can go ahead and have two devices on at the same time. No, it's one node number, but as long as that WiresX software was first initially started and entered that node number and saw the radio that the node number was associated to, so FTM 300 got assigned that node number, then you're doing really good, okay? If we think about this one step further, we know that there have been some people that have registered multiple radios, and that's why we're kind of bringing this up here. But in this case, some people said how to always go ahead and keep track of this and everything like that. Well, understand that when you're looking at a node and room number correlation, the first digit of the number, so the digit all the way over to the left-hand side, the node is going to be the one number, the room number is going to be the next. So for example, if you have old school like me, okay, my node number begins with a one, my room number begins with a number two. Once they ran out of those, then they went to a node number begins with a three and a room number begins with a four. They ran out of there. It went along and a node number begins with a five and a room number be and begins with a six. And then we went seven and eight. Now there's nine and zero. Okay. Don't worry about going in the future. People, people are already starting to freak out about it. Don't, don't worry about that. We got a plan. We got a plan. Okay. But what I tell people to do is I said, you know, if you have it situated where you have multiple radios and you might switch swap, flip flop, and you don't know what it is. Take a little, take a, take something as simple as like going ahead and doing like a label maker and then right near like the area where your serial number is on your radio, just put in like, you know, um, node and then the number or room and then a number and then put that little piece of tape on there. I do that with mine. I'll take the battery off and I'll, there's spot on the battery if I'm using FT5 because I have different radios. So I have the two, I have the three, I have the five, I have the others and stuff like that. So the different ones were re registered differently. Wanted to make sure I know which one is correct. Now, let me go back and clarify here. People have always asked, like, what radios can be used as a donor radio for the HRI 200? And I, I may have blow, blown over that, and, and I may have not said it, and I do apologize. But if not, I'll repeat it again. To use the HRI 200, you can only use either the FTM 100, 200, 300, 400, or the upcoming Radio 500. Now, John... Two of those four radios you just listed, the 100, 200, 300, 400, the 100 and the 400 are no longer in production. That is correct. That doesn't mean you can't use them. So the 100 can be used as a donor radio for the HRI 200, the 200, the 300, and the 400. You cannot use other radios, such as like the FTM 3200, the 3207, the 7250, 
those radios cannot be used as a node radio. It can't, it can't be used for connection to an HRI 200 or with the HRI PDN setup. Now, John, and this list is a little bit longer. What can I use a radios for a PDN setup? Well, now that opens up the field a little more because not only do you still have the 100, the 200, the 300, the 400, and soon 500, but now what you're also going to do is you're going to have the FT2, the FT3, and the FT5. Okay, so you cannot use the FT1 series, you cannot use the FT70 series, but you can use the FT2, 3, and 5 in addition to the mobiles of the 100, 200, 300, and 400 on there. Wow, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot, a lot of information that we threw at you today. Um, but I think it's a good one because it, it really does kind of highlight um, some of those things that um, we get a lot of questions on from there. And I hope this is good uh, for you. And one of the things we like to do in the podcast, we do like to bring information and all that stuff to you. So if you do have any ideas for upcoming podcasts or would like a, maybe a subject matter that you discussed or uh, would like discussed or kind of maybe we could talk about or something like that, feel free to go ahead and shoot us an email. And my direct email is j.kruk at yezu.com. Once again, j period kruk at yezu.com. And you can reach me there. And in the subject line, put podcast show idea or um, um, YouTube show idea. And we'll be happy to take a look at it and see if that fits into our schedule and if we can go ahead and cover the material then. So until then, everybody, we want to say 73 from Yezu USA. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you do like our podcast, make sure you go ahead and hit the subscribe button and stay tuned for more there. Otherwise, like I said, reach out to us. And then if you have any great show ideas, we'll be looking for them. Until then, 73.